Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Tech Swamp. Of course, we have our hosts and your friendly neighborhood membership team here today. Hey, Gary. Hello. And Caitlin, what up? You know, just membership chillin'. Chillin'. And of course, this is Alex. Uh, today, we're taking a deep dive into all things standard essential patents, or as we call them, SEPs, or SEPs, with Senior Global Policy Counsel Brian Scarpelli. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. January 25th, 1915, 104 years ago, the first transcontinental phone service. It came into existence. It's very exciting. Um, Alexander Graham Bell inaugurated the U.S. transcontinental telephone service uh, way back when, and he spoke from New York to Thomas Watson in San Francisco, so across the country. Um, President Woodrow Wilson and the mayors of both cities were also involved in the call. And just to put things into perspective, 100 years after this historic call, Apple was already on the iPhone 6S iteration of the the phone, so... New phone who dis. New phone who dis. (laughs) Crazy. Um, also in tech history, this episode marks the one-year anniversary of Tech Swamp. Yay. We're so happy to have a year of this under our belt and look forward to another year of Tech Swamp. And I'm kind of sad that we didn't have the... Bum, 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 bum. I can put it in as a bumper. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Gary, what are some of the top tech headlines? So remember last episode when we said it looked like all things were pointing to the Senate and House passing a budget, thus avoiding a government shutdown? I do. But then we also said that this is 2018 in D.C., so anything could happen. And now it's 2019. And now it's 2019, and a lot of things did happen, uh, including federal workers who are still reeling from the longest government shutdown in U.S. history. 800,000 federal workers went without a paycheck for about 35 days over funding for one of President, President Trump's top priorities border security, but more specifically building a wall on the U.S. southern border. Uh, Now, although the government is back open, things are not quite back to normal yet. That's right. While President Trump did sign a bill to reopen the government without funding for the border wall, it's a short-term spending bill that will only fund the government until February 15th. During his announcement in the Rose Garden on Friday, January 25th, the president made it very clear that it is a temporary measure to reopen the government and that he expects congressional leaders to fund a border wall or he will do so with an executive order. But what caused the change in course between what seemed like an endless back and forth between the president and congressional leaders? Tensions escalated last Friday when the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, grounded a majority of flights coming into and out of New York's LaGuardia Airport due to a lack of air traffic controllers. The FAA was one of nine agencies impacted by the partial government shutdown that also included the Food and Drug Administration, the Federal Communications Commission, the Federal Trade Commission, and many others. All Smithsonian institutions, including the National Zoo, were also closed during most of the shutdown, and trash pickup on the National Mall also came to a halt. But thankfully, the D.C. local government stepped in to do some of the dirty work. But the trash on the mall was the least of people's worries who, were not, who weren't getting paid. As we said before, about 800,000 federal workers went without pay for 35 days, roughly two pay periods. And in a country that has about 78% of its full-time workers living paycheck to paycheck, that left many people wondering where their next meal would come from. Now, thankfully, local community leaders like Chef Jose Andres stepped in to help those in need. In just one day, Chef Jose Andres' team served 11,400 free meals to the furloughed workers, and his team at the World Central Kitchen in downtown D.C. will continue to serve federal employees through this week until they see the first paycheck of 2019. 
Although the government shutdown is over, the impact on the economy is not. The Congressional Budget Office released a report saying that the shutdown cost the United States economy roughly $11 billion. Once the furloughed workers receive back pay, it is estimated that about $8 billion of that will be recovered, but about a third of that income will never be recuperated. And because the bill signed by the president last week only funds the government through February 15th, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we're hit with another government shutdown next month. Now, there are essentially four possible outcomes that we could see. One is that a deal is reached and that the president is given the $5.7 billion needed for the wall. Two, no deal and the government shuts down again. Third option is no deal, but the president declares a state of emergency and is able to secure funding for the wall. And the final option is no deal, no state of emergency, and no funding for the wall. Now, only time will tell, but we'll be sure to keep you posted on the next episode of Tech Swamp. And that's all for What's Brewing. Today, we're sitting down with Senior Global Policy Counsel Brian Scarpelli for a deep dive on all things SEPs. Hey, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Um, so this is a big topic, so I just kind of want to go ahead and dive in. So I guess to start, can you tell us what a standard essential patent is and why we and our members should care? Absolutely. Um, so I'll tr- try and keep it real short on, on, on the background because it can go on for, for hours and hours about this. But um, really what's at issue is we're worried about the liability of you all as our members when you use standardized technology, either in hardware or software, to innovate. Um, from the kind of the background is that, you know, I think lots of folks out there are familiar with what a patent is. You know, you come up with an invention that's unique and you get a government a government given right to an exclusive use of that invention and, and the right to exclude people from using it. Um, what a, and then, so there's a patent, right? What's a standard? A standard in, for, for our purpose for purposes is is a te- is a technical interoperability specification, something like Wi-Fi, okay. the USB plug, um, video codecs are standardized, right? Um, so those kind of technologies can be things e- that that you all might use in any product that you that you develop. Um, <clears throat> and what makes them sort of needed for a standard is that they the idea is that they should work the same way across devices, global markets, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. The, the motivation in developing a standard is, is to come up with some kind of interoperability across all of the products um, uh, that, that, uh, that, that consumers and even enterprise folks are using out there um, uh, so that, you know, we can all watch, um, we can all watch um, a video, that, you know, that, that the same video file will work on all of our phones despite the brand or the operating system. Right. That um, that we can all, that no matter what brand of, 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 of uh, tablet or cell phone, et cetera, that you have, that it that it can still connect to a Wi-Fi network or a proprietary network like uh, LTE, what's known as 4G, right? All of those technologies are built in standard-setting organizations. They're like nonprofit entities that work to ensure fairness in their process. Um, and, and that they convene engineering expertise, basically, from, from companies, from academia, from even individuals who would like to participate. It's, they're, they're open to participation for anyone for a nominal fee, usually a couple hundred bucks, something like that. And, uh, you know, basically these standard setting organizations will create a project 
like for example when Wi-Fi was created it was the, the goal was to create a common wireless communications protocol for end you end end devices to access the internet huh. right and so then they they put the call out who's interested in helping with this project some people step forward some people don't you know but a lot of people usually do step forward to help with with uh, with these standards for a variety of, of reasons um, some of them pretty altruistic. I mean, uh, the whole basis for standard, like when, it, when a standard setting organization creates a, a new project, it's not to make company X money. It's really to to further technology and benefit humanity. I'm sure it sounds a little cheesy, but but that's actually the, the, <laughs> the motivation. It yeah, it's, it's actually not a profit. Like the standard setting org is not trying to generate profits for shareholders, right. you know. Um, so so they, they, they bring these engineers together and the engineers will submit contributions to say, I have a technology that I made up, or I have an algorithm that I invented, or et cetera, and they'll contribute it to the process, and they'll try and convince all the other members of the standard setting organization that their solution should be incorporated into the project solution. So is that the role that patents play in the right. standards? So sometimes they have patented technologies in those contributions. Ah. So when a patent is included in a contribution that's brought into a standard setting organization's project and it gets accepted everyone else in the group says you're right that is a good solution let's incorporate it in and then um, that and that the patented technology is so important to the use of the standard that you can't use the standard without exercising the patent mm -hmm. they're linked that makes your um, that makes your patent standards essential that then you have an SEP Standard essential. All that to it's get all coming to the, together. Yeah. All coming together. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the question is, right, um, when you, when, 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 I mean, so like when you have an SEP, right, say let's run with the Wi-Fi example because everybody knows that one. Okay. If I have one or two or even more uh, SEPs in the Wi-Fi standard, the long, the, 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 the practical impact of that is that anybody in the world implementing Wi-Fi technology in their products owes me a royalty because they can't use the standard without exercising my patent. My right. patent's essential to the standard. So um, that gives you a lot of leverage in a negotiation, right? Because I, if, I'm, if I own that SEP and I think you're paying too low of a rate, I can drive a super hard bargain because if I walk away from the table, then you can't use Wi-Fi in your product and good luck selling it. Right. You know? Yeah. So um, that dynamic, basically makes um may gives rise to a whole bunch of of competitive issues yeah right? it seems so yeah and uh like sherman act issues right antitrust liability so to offset that every legitimate standard setting organization in the world um requires a contributor but let's run all run back to the beginning of that description i was giving where someone's making contributions into the standard right if there's patents in that, in that contribution, the standard setting organization says to the contributor, you have to disclose it, for okay. quote, can't hide it, right? And then jump out and ambush people later. As in like you have to disclose that you have yeah. a patent. Hey, on here's it. my contribution. Oh, okay. I think it's the best solution and- It's patented. Three patents in it. I have three patents in here too. Got to disclose that. Okay. And that you're going to, if somebody, if, if anyone, uh, would like to you needs access to your patent because it is essential later <laughs> um, that you will 
give that access on a fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory basis. FRAND is the acronym. Brand. And that's why All Things FRAND is our initiative. And you should be friendly yeah. when you're participating in these organizations. Right. Thank you. I will right. be here all week. So, <laughs> so you think about, the, though, that scenario, right, where I'm driving a hard bargain. I own a patent in... I, I own a patent inside um, that's essential to the Wi-Fi standard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it, it, were it not for this FRAND commitment, um, uh, you would, I would, I would as that SEP holder, you know, be able to uh, drive an extremely hard bargain. Um, and it might be a rate that is uh, contravenes competition law. Yeah. So the, the, SEP, the, the standard setting organizations require that you make a FRAN commitment. Okay. Now, now, anyone who owns a patent and wants to contribute it to a standard setting organization's process does not have to do so. They're only doing this voluntarily. They can always take their patent and not contribute it. Right. Right? Uh, that's why the whole thing is voluntary. Now, what do you, what you, you get, what you lose when you, if you're a patent holder and you contribute uh, a patent to a standard setting organization is you lose the right to arbitrarily exclude people from using your patent, which is, which is, uh, you're you are you are voluntarily you're voluntarily pulling back the full extent of the rights that you have on, on a patent that would be standing alone. Right? So you could say a normal patent. You can say I'm not licensing to you because I don't like your tie. Right. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and I don't need a reason. I don't need right. a reason. I'll right. never license to you because it's my patent. Right. Period. You right. know, with a with an with a with a standard essential patent, when you make that friend commitment, it's very different. You can't say that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, that would not be yeah, fair. It would not be fair or reasonable. reasonable. And it would be not friendly. It would not be friendly. Right. So in the end, all of this comes up comes to a question. In that licensing negotiation that we're describing, where yeah. I own a Wi-Fi patent, you need access to it in order to implement the Wi-Fi standard in your pro- in your product. What's reasonable behavior in that licensing negotiation mm. on my part and on your part? Okay, right. That's the question that we're engaged in the Fran debate about. Okay. What and is so, reasonable behavior in a Fran licensing negotiation? And so our view, obviously, is the sort of small business view, or we're, we're certainly being the voice for small businesses. But what is the, like, where do they come into play for this? Right. Well, um, you know, basically, you know, like, like I was saying at the beginning, it's, it's, it's all about we're trying to protect our members, basically. So, um, you know, without, uh, if the Fran commitment means nothing and is abused, by uh, by largely by by SCP holders or by SCP licensees, honestly, then the whole standard system can basically fall apart, okay. and any anyone who's developing hardware or software or a combination that utilizes standard standardized technology will have will face a great deal of at minimum uncertainty about whether they're going to get that demand letter that nobody wants to get in the mail. Saying, and it could come you, to anyone, right? Yeah. Like even just like a developer on a platform, yes. in theory. Yes. Yeah. So what we seek is for that friend commitment to have have value, <laughs> to have meaning. I know that that sounds kind of high level, but but um, that that's really what the the value. Yeah. That that's that's ultimately what our what our goal is, and and we're trying to get clarity, um, both from competition regulators and in the court system, that. Uh, that behavior in a fr- in that friend licensing scenario mm-hmm. that that's at issue that I think when we all talk about it we we recognize that it's not reasonable 
Right. We're, we're getting, we're trying to affirm that it's not reasonable. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problem basically uh, is that there's, um, there's like this single digit number group of large multinational corporations who okay. have um, over the years shifted their business model to essentially monetize standard essential patents through licensing. Okay. Um, less making stuff, more, more, creating. more demanding royalties for SEPs that they own Got from it. implementers. So and innovators. What where where and what are the things that we're doing to sort of make sure that this these brand commitments are, are, are maintained or sort of respected or become consistent across markets? Uh, well, we've got a whole bunch of things going on um, where we're going to bat, really. Um, and I should say initially that, you know, we're engaged around the world, truly. Every major market in the world, their competition authorities or their court system or both, are considering these questions in some shape or form. And the App Association is there, engaged, as filing in, in, in as amici in court, court cases, filing uh, before competition regulators, um, advocacy to, to regulators, etc. There is no other voice for the small business uh, innovator in the SEP law and policy debate than, than the App Association right now. And for years, it's just been a handful of large companies duking it out in court cases with billion dollar verdicts. Mm -hmm. And people read those and say, well, they can afford it. That doesn't affect me, you know, that sort of a thing. But but uh, but the truth of the matter is that as new verticals, whether it's healthcare or industrial control systems or, or whatever, education. yeah, or education, um, utilize internet connectivity and sensors where they previously did not, standard standards will be used in that technology and standard essential patent licensing will become a necessity, a reality to de deal with at least. Uh, for for anyone who's creating that technology. So, and we've created our own initiative. Yes, yeah. All Things Friend is the name of the initiative. We've come up with some really, I think, reasonable, some very, I, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're I, I urge you all to just give give our principles a look. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and they, they really drive our activity. They drive our content generally. Um, but but on, on that site, you'll see um, some some of our uh, members who have who have stepped up to um, to to put their name with our, you know, to add their name to our effort. You'll see our principles. You'll see uh, lots of advocacy that we're doing uh, across different regulators. And we'll include a link um, in our show notes. And then but we're also participating in sort of other. Yeah. Right. So initiatives? Yes. Is that what I would call that's them? That's okay. the that's initiatives. the word. Yeah. <laughs> so um so you know e each of these standard setting organizations sets their own patent policy which will address this exact topic to some degree, right? Many of the standard setting organizations keep it pretty high level. Um but um we're engaged with key standard setting organizations to ensure that their patent policies are are fair basically for for anyone who would utilize the standards coming out of them those include you know the European Telecom Standards Institute or Etsy with an I rather mm -hmm. than a Y at the end is uh, the developer of um, of uh, many 3g and 4g standards you know so any any product or service using cellular technology in this day and age okay. basically is utilizing that standard so you're looking at 
at whether something's reasonable under French law in that case, they're a France-based organization. In addition, there's a couple other orgs, um, one called Sen-Senelec, C-E-N-C-E-N-E-L-E-C, which is a French acronym, and I'm not going to try, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're another standing set, they're another SSO. Um, and uh, through, um, for, for the electrotechnical space, basically, through Sen-Senelec's process, we have initiated a the development of some some common principles and approaches uh, to um, to SEP license. And do those sort of principles and approaches do they also influence the way the policymakers are thinking about? Absolutely, they do. Um, yeah, very influential. Um, uh, and 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 for example, the uh, the Sen Senelec uh, process is expected to conclude in about two months. I would say. Um, and uh, we know this from from the competition authorities that we deal with that it's the work products highly anticipated from from uh, from from regulators and courts. Um, we have a really interesting mix of stakeholders. We have SMEs engaged, of course, from our membership. We're and SMEs people. are just basically small and medium sized yeah. yes. companies. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a good number of, of of participants from the automobile industry. Oh wow. Um, which illustrates to you how these new verticals that are using cellular technology and Wi-Fi and sensors and other standardized technology IoT. are now being touched, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's just the beginning, really. Absolutely, and we're doing something similar in the U.S., right? We are, yeah. So I, I I'm uh, I'm I'm co-chairing an effort within a standard-setting organization called the Licensing Executive Society. It's a little bit of a different standard-setting organization than the ones I was describing before. LES does not seek to make technical interoperability protocols. Mm -hmm. They develop business process standards. Oh, interesting. How to act reasonably in a X scenario in the business world. Very interesting. Um, so there's no patents. There's no SEPs within the standard we're developing right now. Um, but, but the concept is sort of the same? Yeah, the concept is to try and... and um, bring different stakeholders together from both from both the licensor and the licensee community to 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 come up with some consensus approaches to SEP licensing. And that's just that's a brand new effort, very interesting. I think the SME uh, viewpoint is extremely it's vital to the success of the effort and uh, and so I'd encourage anyone to reach out with questions about it. Cool. So uh, then the last thing I think that we should mention is that in March through our All Things Brand initiative, we are hosting a SEP Symposium, a symposium about SEPs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, very excited to uh, host this symposium. Um, it's going to take place on March 20th in Washington, D.C. on the campus of George Washington University's Law School. Um, it's uh, it, we, we're um, uh, looking to um, really, you know, f for the policymaker, that, that's part of our audience, but also the general stakeholder community. I mean, we're going to be um, live streaming this event, et cetera, and recording it and, and promoting it afterwards too. Um, but um, to, to, to try and really illustrate this a, 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 a kind of a, a something that I raised a little bit earlier before that, that the SEP abuse does not just affect um, a handful of, of cell phone manufacturers like a lot of people assume. Um, there are impacts already in the auto industry, as I mentioned, um, and digital health and other key verticals are are next, um, and uh, you know, and, and it's something that 
that we need, uh, you know, we need uh, clarity. We need to keep policy and law on the right track globally. Um, so we've got a bunch of great panels that will illustrate um, some of those specific use cases, such as the auto industry, um, the impact on small businesses, et cetera, and then try and, and, and pull some predictions out from some, uh, some really global experts about where this is all going and, and how to best influence it for people who are impacted. Great, and we're actually gonna have some members in town um, during that who will provide an update for you guys, but also we'll make sure to keep everyone posted and include some more information in our show notes. Um, so Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the deep dive in, uh, in steps and thanks for being our, uh, a friend to <laughs> a friend Mom. of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks Brian. All right. Thanks. And now it's time for our random identifier. Uh, Gary, you want to go first? Sure. So, uh, for this podcast, uh, I talked a few, it was in the last show, the show before, my obsession with Kelly Clarkson. Mm-hmm. This is another obsession. It's okay. also very deep and very real. But not real. Kelly Clarkson. Not Kelly Clarkson. Okay. It is the uh, musical Wicked. Got it. Which has become very important in my life, has taken over. It's somewhat concerning, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go with it. I've You've seen been it. changed for the better. I've been changed for good. I've been changed for the better, and I hope to defy gravity one day. And <laughs> I've seen it three times. I have most of the, the show memorized, even the dialogue. It's really... I need help, but I help. had to say, is this a cry for help? Or no. what's yeah, the... that was it. <laughs> when I was in college, we did like these showcases once a year and I had to sing no good deed, which like is not a song that really makes sense out of uh, context because like basically it's like part spell part, like I'm in love with this boy, but he's going to die and I have to save him. And then like, that's when the scarecrow is made or something. Is that a spoiler alert? Kind of, but that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly so like it was a very strange song to sing. Cause I was like, I don't know this show. I don't really know what I'm singing about. <laughs> But so, I guess yeah. I'm going to belt it as hard as I can. <laughs> so you need me to, like, transcend time and come back and be like, this is the context. And you're like, okay, great, I can pop back here. I mean, my like... friends tried, but I was they, they were like, here it is on YouTube. Like, watch the whole show. And I was like, that's copyright yeah. infringement. I didn't want uh-huh. that. I didn't know. I didn't really care in college the way that I care now. But um, right. anyway, it, it uh, never struck home for me. But I'm glad that you love it. Oh, yeah. It's important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just got some merch delivered, right? Or you just I ordered did. it? I got delivered on Thursday. And Congratulations. Shirts, hats. A shirt and a mug. Nice. I've also, this is like the third or fourth time I've bought something from the Osses Ballroom uh, yeah. online. You're single handedly, like, keeping it. I'm supporting w- yeah. Wicked in the Gershwin Theater. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. yeah. Wicked full life. <laughs> um, Caitlin. <laughs> So, um, I love corgis. I don't own a corgi, but I really love them. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow, like, I want to say no less than seven individual corgis on Instagram. Amazing. To the point where, like, I have corgi fan pages now following me. So, naturally, when my dad received a text message last week saying, like, Hello, Tim. Welcome to Corgi Picks Daily. You're right. going to receive a corgi picture every day here's a message from the person who signed you up for this. And it just was like, ha, 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 ha. So my dad screenshots the message and sends it to me and is like, this looks like this was your handiwork. Like, what's up with all these corgi pictures? Um, I actually did not sign him it up for these. You. It was not me. It, to quote Shaggy, it wasn't it me. Wasn't me. <laughs> um, and But so, like, I had my dad forward me all the pictures of the corgis. They were super cute, but they're... The mystery has not been solved. Like, we do not know who assigned my dad up for these corgi um, 
messages every day. So if you're listening, um, thank you to whoever did this because it is now provided. You're getting them also, right? I'm also getting the quirky pictures, and it's just it's really nice knowing that like some mystery person has signed my dad up for like pictures of corgis. Yeah, it's, and they mm-hmm. want to remain anonymous. Yes, because like that's actually a really wonderful gift to give <laughs> yeah. someone is like a daily picture of. Corgis that, like, you don't did have this to do cost money? Either. Like, I need to look this up. Did this yeah, cost money? Because if, if it did, like, I really appreciate Yeah, it's also, dedication. like, a really, like, that's a really thoughtful gift to, like, get something that will make you smile every day yeah. in your, do you, is it a text or, like, an inbox it's thing? It's a text. It's a text every day of pictures of corgis. Like, and I, I'll upload I get, the pictures of the, yeah, no, most Friends, of the texts I be get better. Are, like, <laughs> wish this was a corgi and not, like, please stop texting me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and with that, um, so I will admit that I struggled this month coming up with my random identifier. And right now, I'm really torn between two. Um, and the first is that tomorrow night, I'm going to see a band called Rainbow Kitten Surprise. This is actually like a birthday present for a friend, uh, my roommate, in fact. Um, and he really likes them, and he introduced me to them. I don't know that much about them, except that their name is Rainbow Kitten Surprise, which is like... I have this thing where I it's like cute. to, right? It's really cute. And I have this thing where I like to sort of like, people will say something and I'll be like, oh, that would be a great band name. And then like, how do you pick the band that goes with the name? You know, um, like, is it an all girl punk band? Is it like an all girl Drake cover band? Is it just like a really angry, like hardcore, hardcore new metal band <laughs> or like a Finnish goth rock? Like who knows? <laughs> but like the name sometimes informs the content. Um, so anyway, Rainbow Kitten Surprise, I feel like will be in fact a surprise uh, tomorrow night at the 930 Club. Um, and then my second random identifier, because I couldn't pick between the two, is that um, I just want to talk about how much I loved um, Aquaman, because it was really, really great. Saw it twice. Um, and it was delightful. And I, I like the star of that movie. Yeah, he was hey. the reason that I saw it the second time. But also, it's like, it, it was sort of, you know, it's in the DC universe, and most of those movies have been very serious. And then Wonder Woman came out, and it was just like a beautiful, wonderful movie. Um, and I think that this is sort of trying to, like, embrace a little bit more of, like, the... Um, uh, vibe that people are looking for from their superhero movies. It's okay. like, it has its moments of seriousness, but it's also like, it was visually very beautiful and, um, Jason Was Romo The was Rock funny. in it? Yeah. Did mm-hmm. I see that The Rock, like, was with him in, like, a scene? There, maybe it was a deleted scene. Like, I saw on Instagram for sure, like, them together on that set, both of them wearing skirts. That's amazing. That no, cute. The Rock was not in it. Okay. I'm sad that he wasn't, though. That would, would really... Been, would have been a nice addition. Yeah. I haven't seen it, and... Yeah. I have no, I have no knowledge. You know about who isn't it though? But... Willem Dafoe. Who's that? Willem Dafoe. He was like Boondock Saints and like. Oh oh, oh yeah really yeah. Oh, He's like Oscar that's... nominated actor. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's true. Definitely Golden. We're Globe. spreading rumors here just, on Text I think he just won a Golden Globe, possibly <laughs> maybe, or like was just nominated for one in this past. Either way. Anyway, he's great. I saw him in New York once. He's a tiny, tiny pocket-sized human. He was, like, basically my height, and I'm not very tall. <laughs> I was I was in the village, and I he's walked a short. him. He's a short. He was wearing a very cool leather jacket that I had envy. Um, so those are my random identifiers. Okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And, of course, we want to give a shout-out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. And please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And, of course, we'd love a rate and review. That's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. 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 Bye.